Welcome to Full Rager, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis, and as I'm recording this podcast, the city of Minneapolis is on high alert. It's bracing for the verdict in the murder trial of the former police officer, Derek Chauvin. Remember him? He was the officer seen kneeling on the neck of George Floyd for nearly nine minutes as he lay dying in the street. <laughs> All right, what's your name? George. George? George Perry Floyd. Prosecutors will argue that Floyd died because Chauvin knelt on his neck as he lay prone, face down, on the street. The defense is expected to argue that his death was the result of a fentanyl overdose and previous health conditions, including COVID. Yes, he tested positive for COVID. Now, the video of Floyd's death went viral, as you know, and it sparked months of protest against racism and police brutality worldwide. It even brought up the topic of defunding the police. Now, Officer Chauvin, former officer, is out on bond, and he's facing charges right now of second-degree murder and manslaughter, and three other former officers are also charged with aiding and abetting. The prosecution wants to add a third-degree murder charge. They arrested him and charged him initially with that charge, but it was dropped. So the prosecution wants it added, so an appeals court is considering it, and it would allow the jury to convict Chauvin of murder even if it was not his intention. Now, the third-degree murder category is defined in the laws of three states in the United States, Florida, Minnesota, and Pennsylvania. And depending on the state, third-degree murder could include felony murder regardless of the underlying felony, where the underlying felony is nonviolent, or depraved heart murder, meaning that intent to kill is not an element of the offense, of the offense of third-degree murder in any state which defines it. Now, it's punishable by a maximum of 40 years in prison in Florida and in Pennsylvania in case of a violent career criminal and 25 years imprisonment in Minnesota. So that's what former officer Derek Chauvin faces if, A, they are able to add the third degree murder charge and B, if the jury convicts him. And you're like, wait a minute, Karen, don't you remember the Rodney King case where those officers in L.A. walked? How about the Eric Garner case in the New York City borough of Staten Island after NYPD officer Daniel Pantaleo put him in a prohibited choke hold while arresting him? Of course, the video footage of the incident generated widespread national attention and raised questions about the appropriate use of force by law enforcement. He again said, I can't breathe. Well, so did George Floyd. Medical examiner ruled Garner's death a homicide, but a Richmond County grand jury declined to indict Pantaleo. So the city of Minneapolis is under heightened alert and has boarded up the windows and put razor wire fence surrounding the courthouse. And I just wanted to tell you that it is possible for a police officer to be tried and convicted of killing a suspect in custody or almost in custody because we had a similar case back in 2015 right here in Palm Beach County. It happened just up the road from where I'm recording this in our studios in Palm Beach Gardens on October 18th, 2015. 31-year-old Corey Jones, he was an African-American. He was shot to death by police officer Newman K. Raja. He was waiting by his disabled car for a tow truck right at the exit to PGA Boulevard. You know, like in golf, PGA National's just down the street. It's the golf course there. And also Tiger Woods just lives up the road on Jupiter Island. 
So let me set the scene. It was late at night. Corey Jones was returning from a music session with his church band. He played the drums. And a little background, Corey Jones attended Krista McAuliffe Middle School in Boynton Beach. Remember, she was the teacher that died when the Challenger exploded after takeoff. Well, he played the French horn in school. And in fact, his entire family was musically inclined. They played instruments at home and at church. Jones graduated from Santa Lucia's Community High School in Lantana, where he played football. I think his brother was a professional football player in the NFL. And aside from his work as a professional drummer at a number of local churches and with the group Future Presidents, with a Z, Presidents, Jones was a housing manager for the Delray Beach Housing Authority and a graduate of the University of Akron in Ohio with degrees in music and business management. This kid had a lot on the ball. And according to his family's attorneys, Jones also mentored men of color as part of My Brother's Keeper, an initiative President Barack Obama launched in 2014. Jones worked at the Delray Beach Housing Authority for eight years, and he was an inspector slash assistant property manager, a job that involved inspecting housing units to make sure that they were livable. The position also required assisting tenants and landlords with communication. So basically, his job was to help people. He was an all-around really good guy. So as I said, Jones worked part-time as a drummer, and he played in a band at his church, the Bible Church of God in Boynton Beach, where his grandfather, Sylvester Banks Sr., is a bishop. And who is Newman Raja, the officer involved in this debacle? He is a Muslim of Pakistani ancestry. He was naturalized as an American citizen in 2001. His grandfather was a police chief in Pakistan. Also, Raja worked for the small police department in Atlantis, Florida. It's kind of like a little city out in western Palm Beach County for several years before he joined the Palm Beach Gardens Police Force. He's married with two children. So on that ill-fated night, Corey Jones was returning to his home in Boynton Beach after playing at the Johnny Mango's Tiki Bar and Grill with his band, The Future Presidents. Unfortunately, he had car trouble. His uh, Santa Fe pooped out on the side of 95. So his first call was to his brother, C.J. Jones. C.J. was his older brother, and he was a football player at the University of Iowa. And from 2003 to 2009, he played as a wide receiver in the NFL. So Corey called C.J., and his brother offered to come help him and pick him up and take him home. But Corey's like, no, bro, I need my car in the morning because he had to go to church the next morning. So his bandmate showed up with oil to help him. Apparently the oil light was on, but they were unable to get the car running. So Jones then called for a tow truck. And then with that assurance that there was a tow truck coming, the bandmate left. So there's Jones by himself in his Hyundai Santa Fe waiting for the tow truck to come. He called the AT&T roadside assistance. And suddenly he was approached by a police officer. He didn't know it was a police officer. He sees this white van pull in and kind of park in front of his vehicle on the side of the road. And a guy gets out of the vehicle and Corey Jones thinks he's being held up. He thinks he's being robbed. By the way, in addition to calling AT&T roadside assistance, Corey Jones had also called FHP. He was using his government-issued work phone, so those records were available under state law. So the officer, who was in plain clothes, Newman Raja, and in the unmarked white van, approached Jones, who was waiting by his disabled vehicle on the highway exit ramp, and Jones was armed with a licensed silver handgun 
because he thought he was being robbed, he pulled it out. Within seconds, Raja fired six shots at Jones, striking him three times. Now, here's the audio from the roadside assistance company and Officer Raja's 911 call. Thank you for calling AT&T Roadside Assistance. This is Maddie. May I have your mobile number to better assist you? 561-573-2815. Okay, give me one moment to pull up the account. And what's the name on it? Corey Jones. Alrighty. And what can I do for you tonight? I need to get a tow. I'm okay. uh, broke down. What's wrong with the vehicle? Um, it won't start. Okay. What's the address of the vehicle location? I'm off uh, the PGA uh, Southtown exit on 95. Is there any buildings, landmarks, anything like that, that I could use to pinpoint your address? Stop. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um... Corey Jones's phone was found on the floorboard of his vehicle. That's why you hear that dinging of the door open indicator in the background. Officer Raja had to call 911 on his cell phone because he was not in uniform and he didn't have his police radio on his person. I'm back right now! 911. Hey, this is Gardens Alpha 1. I just got one down. I just shot one person. I'm at that off ramp right behind Doubletree. Black male. I am not covered in anything right now. Give me some units. I got one down. I got one man down. Got five right, right, Roger, you all right? Yeah, man, I'm good. I'm good. Drop the right. On the off-ramp, right? On the off-ramp. Give me some units. I've lost okay. contact with him. I don't know where he is. All right, you got it, buddy. Where's your radio, Raj? My radio's in the van right now. I don't have it with me. I'm on the, right. That's why I'm on the phone. All right, stay on the phone, buddy. What's the guy look like? Black male wearing all black dreads, had a silver handgun in his right hand. I came out, I saw him come out with a handgun, I gave him commands, I identified myself, and he turned, pointed the gun at me, started running, I shot him. 65 to 28 on the, on the SUV. Go ahead. It's going to be a Florida 28 of 286 Papa Romeo Hotel, 286 PRH. It's coming back on a four-door Hyundai Gray. Yeah, SUV. Uh, yeah, it's out of Lake Worth. It's not stolen or anything. All right, man. All right, stay on the phone. Where's the van right, man, at? No, 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 right on the offense. You'll see my van right there. I'm actually, I'm walking back to my van. I'm back to my van in the car. All right. He's hit at least three to four times. All units, signal 33. All right, you got your radio now? No, 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 hold on, not yet, not yet. All right, I got, I got units, I got units coming. All right, man, thank you. All right, stay on the phone, man, all right, buddy? Careful. Right. I'm right on the off ramp. He ran across into the grass towards 95. Guys, right here, right here, right here. He ran, guys, he ran in that direction, ran in that direction. I, I lost visual of him. So fortunately for Corey Jones' family, you have the audio basically of everything that went down. And you heard the signal codes in the background, the signal 33, that's discharging firearms. There's different signals for police calls. And as you recall from a recent Full Rigger episode on aviation crashes, I talked to you about how I monitored the police scanner. Well, I learned some of the universal signals, of which there are 99. A signal 7 is the biggie. 
it's a dead person. Signal seven is means someone's dead. Signal four means it's an accident. And signal five is a murder. Signal zero, armed and dangerous. So Corey Jones was found a good distance, like 80 to 100 feet from the vehicle. He was running away. He thought he was being robbed, as I said, and attacked. Because Roger was apparently, you didn't hear him in that tape, say, hey, I'm a police officer, drop your weapon. Nowhere on that tape do you hear that. You just hear him say, drop the effing gun. Stop. I'm good. Y'all good? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um... So he didn't identify himself and he was in that unmarked vehicle and he was not in uniform. So Jones did have that big silver gun. It was a 38 caliber gun, which he had purchased, get this, three days prior to the shooting. And he had a concealed carry license for it. It was completely legal and it was found on the ground between Jones's body and his car. It had not been discharged. He did not fire a single bullet. So after the shooting, Raja falsely claimed to investigators that he had identified himself as a police officer and shot Jones in self-defense. Both assertions were disproved by that audio recording that you just heard of the fatal shooting. So as I told you, you know, Raja wasn't new to being a cop, although he was new to the Palm Beach Gardens Police Department. He was still on his six-month probationary period, but he had worked at the Atlantis Police Department from 2008 to 2015. So for seven years, he was really no stranger to being a police officer. Raja, remember, was wearing plain clothes and was working an undercover burglary detail in the unmarked van prior to stumbling upon Corey Jones's broken down vehicle on 95. And on June 1st, 2016, a grand jury charged Raja with manslaughter by culpable negligence and attempted first-degree murder with a firearm. And the Palm Beach State Attorney Dave Ehrenberg announced that the grand jury concluded Raja had no justification to shoot Jones. And the charging documents alleged that Raja never identified himself to Jones as a police officer as he drove up to the stranded motorist, yelled commands, and then opened fire. So on November 11th, 2015, Raj's employment with the Palm Beach Gardens Police Department was terminated because, remember, he was still in a six-month probationary period. Corey Jones's family was represented by famed attorney Benjamin Crump from Florida, and he also represented the family of Trayvon Martin, as well as George Floyd's family. So Raja was arrested, and his bond was set at $250,000. So just like Chauvin, he was out on bond waiting for trial. He made bail, was released from the Palm Beach County Jail and placed under house arrest. And there were a variety of conditions of pre-trial release, including he had to wear a GPS monitor and he had to surrender his passport. Now, although Raja had told investigators previously that he had called 911 before shooting Jones, the audio recording of Jones' roadside assistance call showed the final shot had been fired 33 seconds before Raja dialed 911. The recording also showed that Raja never identified himself to Jones as a police officer. And in the state attorney's office report that they released on January 17, 2017, prosecutors state that the officer 
lied to investigators. He gave an accounting of the events that contradicted the evidence. And so, like I said, thank God there was the audio. I came out, I saw him come out with a handgun, I gave him commands, I identified myself, and he turned, pointed the gun at me, started running, I shot him. So, Florida has a little thing called the Stand Your Ground Law. And on January 18th, my birthday, 2018, defense attorneys for Raja filed a motion to dismiss all charges, citing Florida Stand Your Ground laws. And in the motion, Raja claims that he identified himself as a police officer, no, as he exited the van. Then Jones immediately jumped out saying, I'm okay, man, as he approached the vehicle, and that Jones then immediately drew a gun and pointed it at Officer Raja. Defense attorneys claimed that Raja repeatedly yelled for Jones to put his hands up and drop the gun and threw in a few F-bombs as well. Well, Raja further stated that he saw the silver muzzle pointing at him and that he believed the gun was equipped with a red laser. Well, the motion to dismiss was denied. In fact, Raja was convicted of the charges on March 7, 2019, following an eight-day jury trial and... He was sentenced to 25 years in prison on April 25th, 2019. Yes, a Florida police officer sentenced by a judge to 25 years in prison. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. I hereby sentence him to 25 years in the Department of Corrections. And on count two, I hereby sentence Mr. Raja to 25 years in the Department of Corrections. That is as a minimum mandatory, which was required that he serve day for day. Those sentences will run concurrently. So that is Judge Joseph Marks announcing the sentence of Newman Raja. It means that Raja will not get gain time for any good behavior. He will be behind bars for 25 years. Here's the Palm Beach State Attorney Dave Ehrenberg. This is a, a bittersweet day because nothing can bring Corey Jones back. There are no winners here. This is not a time to... You know, jump up and down because nothing is going to bring Corey Jones back. But at least this can show the community that our criminal justice system, despite its flaws, will get it right. Outside the courthouse, Benjamin Crump, the attorney for Corey Jones's family, said, justice is sweet, even if it's rare. They did something rare in America. They actually bought charges against a police officer and were successful in getting a conviction. So the guilty verdict was a really big deal for the Corey Jones family, Palm Beach County, the state of Florida, and the country, and perhaps also for Minneapolis, Minnesota. Here's Benjamin Crump again. There's hope for America because a jury here in Palm Beach, Florida, looked at all the evidence and they said a black man killed by the police can get equal justice. This is the first time in over 30 years that a police officer has been convicted for killing a black person in the state of Florida. It is a milestone for many black Americans, not only in Florida, but all across the United States. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. So Newman Raja's wife, of course, was devastated. Here's Corinne Raja as she addressed the court. Privately. We also mourned for the Jones family. We pray daily for Corey Jones and his family. I am now the single mother of two small children, one of which is a special needs child, both of whom are suffering 
beyond reparability. I'm so sorry for the Jones family and their loss. By all accounts, Corey Jones was a good man. But I could assure you, Your Honor, so is my husband. So, Raja's scheduled release date? February 27th, 2044. But under Florida parole and probation guidelines, his minimum release date is May 29th, 2040. That is still a long way off. Raja is currently being held at the Wakulla Correctional Institution in Crawfordville, Florida. It's a minimum to medium security level prison just southeast of Tallahassee. Of course, I'll keep you up to date on what happens with former officer Derek Chauvin if he faces the same fate as Newman Raja and potentially 25 years in prison for the death of George Floyd. Now I have an update on a past podcast. I would like to take you back to episode 17, the Barahona toxic truck twin tragedy. That's when Jennifer Ross and I explored the hellish case of 10-year-old South Florida twins who were terrorized in foster care. They were tied up, confined to a bathtub, beaten, and starved. The case cast a harsh light on the Department of Children and Families, which approved their adoption. Eventually, one twin was allegedly beaten and murdered by her adoptive father. The state is seeking the death penalty in his case. Well, apparently, five South Florida inmates ganged up and beat this guy while he was asleep in his cell. And they say they did it because of, quote, the nature of his pending charges, according to a police report. All five have been charged with battery by a detainee for the March 1st attack on Jorge Barahona at the Miami-Dade County Jail. He's still awaiting trial. So 53-year-old Barahona had his face bashed in. He suffered bruises on his face and a small cut on his nose and a nosebleed. He's accused of killing his adopted 10-year-old daughter, Nubia Barahona, in February of 2011, after investigators say he tortured her and her twin brother, Victor, for months. Now, the body of Nubia Barahona was found on Valentine's Day 2011, soaked with chemicals in the back of her adoptive father's truck along I-95 in West Palm Beach. Now, his wife, 69-year-old Carmen Barahona, pled guilty to first-degree murder and aggravated child abuse charges last year and is expected to testify against her husband, Jorge. He faces, as I said, the death penalty if convicted at this trial. Here is a portion of my episode 17 podcast, Barahona Toxic Truck Twin Tragedy. There is nothing in this world that a 10-year-old child could do to deserve the lifetime of abuse these two children endured. So this couple, they were foster parents to actually multiple children, but they ended up adopting these twin foster children, they inflicted hellish abuse on these adopted twins inside their West Miami-Dade home. They would tie their hands and feet together, either with rope or with duct tape, confine them to a bathtub. They'd make them just stay in the bathtub. For days. Days. They would beat, starve, and torture them. Right. This case really cast a sharp, harsh spotlight on the Department of Children and Families, which approved the adoption after there were so many red flags with this case. The twins were born, it was uh, fraternal twins, Nubia and Victor Doctor, D-O-C-T-E-R, were born May 26, 2000. So this was 2010, 2011, when this whole thing went down. Okay. And their mom was a drug and alcohol abuser, so they've had a hard life the whole time. 
Her decomposing corpse oh, of her, okay. their adopted daughter, Nubia, was discovered in a black trash bag in the back of Jorge Barahona's pickup truck on Valentine's Day along 95, right here, north of Palm Beach Lakes Boulevard, approaching 45th Street, where our studios are located. Have you seen this picture? He's uh, he's a very creepy-looking character. He looks character. like a troll from under a bridge. <laughs> Not that that has like they shaved to do him with, and taught him to yeah. walk upright or something. It's yeah. <laughs> a good description, actually. Nubia Barahona, well. she had a short life. Today we gather to remember and celebrate the life of Nubia, a sweet little girl in who her short life touched so many in this community. Yeah. So here's the details from <sighs> the arrest report, which paints a really grim picture as to what happened before Jorge Barahona's truck was found on the side of 95 with a strong smell of chemicals. His son, so this would be the fraternal twin, Victor, was burned and the body of his daughter in the back of his truck. Oh, my God. So according to the arrest affidavit from the West Palm Beach Police Department, Mm -hmm. Jorge was traveling north of 95 from Miami to West Palm on Valentine's Day after he had placed his dead daughter in the plastic bag in the rear of the truck. Ugh. While in custody, he did confess to police that he'd been upset by the death of his daughter, oh, Nubia. Wow. That, was, that, was, that was big of him. He beat her to death. So Sorry. he said <laughs> the shoulder, he had driven uh, to Palm Beach County with the plan to commit suicide by setting himself on fire. Oh, with the little girl and the boy in the, in the truck with him. Yeah, he had doused okay. himself with gas. Uh, he said the shoulder of 95 was chosen so that he would easily be found. He claimed to give Victor a handful of sleeping pills. Then, with the boy's head on his lap, doused gasoline over his head and then attempted to ignite a lighter, but he couldn't do it. He didn't want to take Victor with him. When the road ranger came up on the scene, Victor got out of the truck, was stumbling toward him, and he had had seizures. So there was, you know, he could tell he had had seizures and he was completely out of it. The road ranger calls police once he sees this whole thing unfolding in this truck. He sees Jorge's like bent over the wheel, slumped over the wheel, and Victor's convulsing and seizing and and covered in some sort of acid. He's got burns all over him. Oh, my God. Eventually, they find out that there's a daughter, and then they find in the back, she's in these bags in the back of the pickup truck. That she's been there a while. It wasn't fresh. It, yeah, it, it was it, a couple days, and she had decomposed. In fact, they could not identify her. Why? Why does everything happen on Valentine's know. Day down here? Because You've of got love. Parkland, and because of a made-up holiday. With the idea that it was Valentine's Day, the fourteenth, autopsy results concluded Nubia was beaten to death on the eleventh of February. Oh, jeez. The very day a DCF official came to investigate a call from their home about abuse, it was a call to the abuse hotline. The very day. Oh, my God. And according to the police report, Jorge allegedly repeatedly punched and beat Nubia, who screamed and cried until she was dead. This is what uh, one of the women said at the funeral. There is one common thread in all of us, the need to comprehend what has happened and why. So what is something that no normal, caring human being can comprehend? How a parent can do harm to their child and how anyone else involved could have allowed it. Okay, there's this kid, he's covered in, he's burned, he's got yeah. chemicals all over him, and he's convulsing. The road ranger spotted, as I said, the truck parked on the side of the road, and the truck was still there hours later, so he pulled over. When he approached the truck, the 10-year-old, Victor, stumbled out of the cab, 
and he was suffering from chemical burns. He appeared to have a seizure. When the ranger looked inside the cab, he saw Barahona slumped over the driver's seat. He called police. West Palm Beach Fire Rescue responded to the call, found 53-year-old Jorge Barahona with his knuckles dragging on the ground. No, he was on the ground. (laughs) Knuckles dragging on the ground. His hairy knuckles. And 10-year-old Victor Barahona in the cab of the truck. So both were conscious by the time the rescue people arrived, but Victor was convulsing with seizures. (sighs) One fireman was overcome with the strong smell of the chemicals when he was approaching the truck. Jeez. So decontamination procedures were started. Can you imagine? The bed of the truck was full of plastic uh, containers of chemicals, some unlabeled. So they didn't know what the hell they were dealing with. Jeez. And, but the truck was branded with the name of Jorge's pest extermination business. So there's an indication. Okay. CJ you. Pest Control, causing investigators to believe the chemicals were pesticides. What well, An unlabeled container held some form of acid, causing firefighters to wonder why an exterminator would have such a chemical. Unless it was like really big rats, like a 40-pound mouse. Well, the investigators, the FBI got involved. They joined the effort to decontaminate the site to clear the way for the county forensics investigators to examine the body. Mm. This is at 8.30 at night. Jeez. From 5 a.m. until 8.30 at night. Jeez. Finally, the body was taken to the medical examiner's office for an autopsy, and the identity was withheld from the public for two days because they, they, they couldn't, they didn't know who it was. They didn't know she was badly decomposed. They revealed it was Nubia Barahona, Victor's twin sister. Her body badly decomposed and difficult to identify. And it had been covered with acid and other hazardous chemicals. Here's how one neighbor described Nubia. We saw her hungry. She would ask my daughter for food. My daughter would give her food. The teachers would give her food. We would take her extra food. But there was only so much we can do because she's a minor. What do you remember most about Nubia? warm and loving smile thank you she was extremely brave oh my god she was brave so let me give you a little backstory about the fraternal twins so fraternal means they had two eggs right they're not of the same so they weren't yeah yeah they didn't look alike no so nubia and victor doctor were born, as I said, May 26, 2000, to Sandra K. Doctor, the mother with the drug and alcohol abuse issues. Their mother had four children before them, all of whom had been taken from her by DCF. Great. Nubia was born with an undisclosed significant medical problem. Oh, dear. She had been born intersex. So, you know, we no longer say hermaphroditic. Oh, it's intersex. Yes. So um, they didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. And then at that point, and, and maybe, I'm, maybe I'm totally wrong, but isn't it the parent who decides what sex the child will be if they have all the organs? Uh, yeah, you're right. Well, now I guess they just put an X on there. Oh, so you can be both. Okay. So intersex is an umbrella term used to describe a wide range of natural body variations and require significant medication, medical procedures. So it was recommended she be placed in a medical foster home, but instead she was placed with the Barahonas who then adopted them later. And killed her, but that's besides the point. Did that have anything to do with her death? Well... Interesting, you said you just heard the woman say she was always hungry and skinny. The Barahonas, when DCF would come, they'd go, oh, it's her endocrine system and medication that's causing her hair loss and her uh, weight loss. And DCF bought that? Yeah. 
Oh, you know what? I, and if I remember correctly, the person in charge of DCF or the people that went there, they also got in trouble for this oh, case. Oh, it was, it was a okay. big problem for them. Uh, did you know that you when you hit the feet of a child with a rod, it doesn't leave bruises, so that's how you can really torture them? Are you kidding? Yeah, both twins were tied up in the bathtub for hours, and they'd beat their feet. At the bottoms of yeah, the feet? the bottoms of the feet. doesn't leave doesn't leave a bruise. And how did these people know that? That's that. That's the well, million dollar question that you know how to. Oh, that they. Oh, that, you know how to that they didn't somebody, inflict it without it. Yeah, without leaving a bruise. Well, Nubia did have bruises. I mean, she was the most abused, according to the couple's unnamed grandchild, who was in the house often when her mom was at work. So this would be Carmen's daughter's daughter. Was and in she the left, house. She left this kid with this this creepy thing. couple. Yeah, and so they would always escort her into the bathroom to go to the bathroom because the kids were tied up in the bathtub. Oh wow. She said Nubia would always be really, really hungry, and sometimes she'd have bruises on her. That's oh what she told God. prosecutors. This is the granddaughter. She said her own mother, Jennifer Perez, who would be Jorge and Carmen Barahona's daughter, knew what was going on and once walked in on the twins tied up in the tub. And did nothing. She'd usually say that those weren't her kids and that she couldn't do anything about it, but she said that I couldn't tell anybody either because it was a family secret. That's what she told her own daughter. Oh, wasn't that lovely? And yeah. the, get this, the statute of limitations on child abuse has run out, so Perez can't be charged with anything. Are you kidding me? No. I mean, these kids had it rough their whole oh. lives. They were removed from the mother, the alcoholic drug abuser's care in 2003, placed her with their father, Victor Bustillo, but they didn't stay with him long. In 2004, he was charged with sexual battery of a child, oh, not wonderful. in his care. Twins <laughs> were placed in a foster care, eventually ended up in the home of Jorge and Carmen Barahona in Miami. The couple had already adopted a boy with autism. Jorge owned a pest control business, and Carmen was the homemaker at the time. So oh in, in 2005, Nubia reportedly told someone at her school that her father was molesting her. This was unclear whether she had meant her birth father or her foster father. DCF investigated it. They determined that she'd meant her birth father and the case was closed because remember, he's already been charged with sexual battery on a child. Right, and he's gone. But in 2006, so a year later, right. school staff called DCF to report a large bruise on Nubia's face and they suspected it was child abuse. So again, the Barahonas were ordered to bring her to an appointment at the Department of Health's Child Protection Team in Miami. Didn't show up till a week later and the bruise had disappeared. So the state doctors agreed with the Barahonas' assertion that the bruise was from a fall. Yeah. Okay. I ran into a door. Yeah. The twins were formally okay. adopted in 2009. So this was so four years went, later. So they, let yeah. them, they let them adopt them. Jeez. In 2010, complaints similar to the ones in 2007, again raised by school authorities, this time adding that Nubia was losing her hair. DCF was met with the uh. same reasoning from the Barahonas that it was caused by her endocrine condition oh, and medication. Yeah. She was taking it, and the investigation was dropped again. And these creeps are still alive. Please, don't get me going. So, yeah, the grandchild said, I wasn't allowed to go to the bathroom unless I was being supervised by Jorge or Carmen they would always have the curtain closed, but there was a time that I saw Victor and Nubia in the bathtub tied up with ropes or tape. Jorge was arrested on child abuse charges against Victor and moved from Columbia Hospital uh, to uh, the Palm Beach County Jail on February 16th, two days after they found him on, on Valentine's Day. Okay. His wife told investigators when questioned that she and her husband had been separated for six months when, in fact, they were never apart. 
Oh, yeah, because she tried to blame him for everything. Then the co- Yeah, the couple's two other children were taken from the home and placed with Carmen's parents, then placed in foster care. So what do we know what happened to the son? Yes, so uh, Victor, what happened to Victor? Victor initially taken to St. Mary's, and then he was transferred to Jackson Memorial, the burn center. Oh, dear. He suffered severe internal reactions to the inhalation of toxic fumes in the truck. He had chemical burns over large portions of his body. Uh. He had uh, previous injuries to his body, a broken collarbone, broken arm, scars on his buttocks and lower abdomen, rope marks on both wrists. He was finally released March 2nd, oh my God. like 15 days later, placed in a therapeutic foster home. Get this, in 2017, 2017, lawmakers approved a plan to pay $3.75 million to Victor, the boy. Wow. Involved in the case that rocked the state's welfare system. The money was part of a $5 million settlement in the death of 10-year-old Nubia Barahona and the injury suffered by her brother, Victor. Jeez. That poor kid. I wonder where he is today. Well, he's he's a millionaire, but he's yeah. he's definitely scarred in but he screwed more up. ways than one. You can't tell me. I mean, I don't think there's enough couch time to fix that. Well, DCF took a... Major and, over, and they should overhaul. have. Yeah, they should have because this is horrific. There are how many red flags between teachers, neighbors, even even the granddaughter saying something. Please come on, and they let this these poor kids stay there. Yeah, and the granddaughter apparently told her therapist that she saw Nubia and Victor tied up in the bathtub and that they were only untied so they could eat something. So the therapist eventually called DCF. Wow. About how they were being treated. Well, in, in, in fairness to the granddaughter, I could understand you probably feared for your life. If you're looking at these two, the way they're being treated, that's going to be you next if you say something. And the, then they had an 11-year-old, the autistic son that I told you about, right. Jorge. He also tried to tell a DCF investigator visiting the home shortly before Nubia's death about a secret. <laughs> but the investigator claimed Carmen dismissed him as low-functioning and told him to watch TV in the other room. And DCF just let it go. Wow. So DCF, because of this, I remember the major overhaul. But did, did people suffer consequences? Like, did anybody go to jail at DCF? No. No. No, they, no, just they lost paid their a lot jobs. of money. Well, I know that there was one DCF caseworker who was fired. Her name was Andrea Fleary. And she was fired for poor performance in March for her handling of the abuse allegations against Nubia and uh, Fleary. She was a 22-year veteran of the State Department of Children and Families. And she said that her dismissal was inappropriate because she said she made no mistakes, despite the fact the child's body was found in the back of her adoptive dad's truck. So Carmen filed for divorce from Jorge in late February <laughs> and was arrested and charged with first-degree murder on March 5th. She's being held without bond. That's nice to know. And where is he? And so after being informed that he needed to attend the hearing on a felony child abuse charge, he tried twice to injure himself. First, he jumped backward off a sink in his cell and landed on his head. Maybe that's what Jeffrey Epstein did. That's what did. Epstein did. Okay, yeah. That's how he broke mm-hmm. bones in his neck. And he was examined and declared competent to stand trial for a judge, but refused to cooperate with deputies and did not show up for that hearing. And then at the hearing, his bail was set at a million dollars. He later attempted to again injure himself. It was taken to the hospital for a CT scan. And apparently he was okay. So he was returned to the jail and transferred to the mental unit. But I think he eventually ended up in Gen Pop because he just got jumped by five inmates who beat him up. 
So DCF came under fire, of course, during the course of the police investigation into Nubia's death for failing to piece together these warning signs from medical professionals, school officials, that something was wrong in the Barahona home. Jeez. And you know what? The agency blamed it on system-wide failure, including poor judgment by child protective investigators, overwhelming caseloads, and missed opportunities at every turn. Nubia's death did prompt the creation of a task force to recommend reforms, such as hiring more child abuse investigators. That $5 million they paid out, do you know how many investigators they could have hired for that? Yeah, a whole bunch. And trained? Mm. And they made changes to the state's abuse and neglect hotline. Oh, that was nice. But this woman echoes your sentiment. There is one common thread in all of us, the need to comprehend what has happened and why. But what is something that no normal, caring human being can comprehend? How a parent can do harm to their child and how anyone else involved could have allowed it. Thank you. Period. I really think in Carmen's case that it was more of Jorge doing the beating and the killing and the... But maybe she was the one oh, tying see, him I, up. I, I, think, I think she's more on the child abuse side, and I think Jorge no, was the... Oh, I think just the opposite. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. <gasps> I think that she's evil, it's evil, like Sybil's evil. mom. Yeah. And with she the button had, hook. She had all... Oh, God. She had all kinds of control over him. That's what I think. But that's just my theory. And, of course, last year she pled guilty to first-degree murder and aggravated child abuse charges, and she is expected to testify against her husband, Jorge, or should I say ex-husband... Of course, he faces the death penalty if convicted at trial. Well, that wraps up Full Rigor. Thanks for joining us. Until next time. Get early access to Macy's Black Friday specials on gifts they'll love at prices you will too. Now, while supplies last, like 40 to 50% off boots and shoes for him and for her. Sweaters for him and her, just $24.99. And 60% off holiday decor, hosting essentials, and so much more. Plus, download the free app for more Black Friday deals at Macy's. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. Peloton, let's go! This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home-trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.